him up front here. Do you see this? It's not a music stand. Woohoo! Let's give God a hand for that. Huh? I, I, I like almost keep forgetting about it. So it's just another tool in the arsenal. So thank God for that. Praise the Lord. Well, we want. <coughs> some of us grew up on farms. Some of us, many of us grew up around farms. And we know that a farmer, if he wants to have a harvest, what does he have to do? Um, well, actually, we've got this little guy here. This little guy, was this you growing up? Yeah. You know, we all have dreams and goals in life, don't we? And we have them many times, we, we gather them when we're young. And then we've got to pursue them. And this young man has a dream. You can see it on him. He's got a dream, but to fulfill that dream, he has to pursue it. And he's got to keep pursuing it until that day when he's actually able to be a pilot or be in the military or be an astronaut, whatever he's seeking to go, wherever he's seeking to go. He's got to keep pursuing that dream for that dream to become a reality. It may be that God has placed it in his heart, but God will do his part, right? But that little guy's got to do his part as well to keep pursuing. So let's come back to what I was going to begin with before. Let's go to the next slide. Farmers, man, you've got to love farmers. I love them. I love their commitment. I love their faith. I love their hard work. I, I, I love a lot about farmers. But you know, a farmer's got to plow his field, doesn't he? And he's got to plant the seed. He's got to fertilize and cultivate uh, once he plants this seed. And he's got to do this always knowing something, that he is utterly dependent on forces beyond him for his success and for the harvest. He's got to depend on something else. He can't cause the, the seed to germinate. He can't produce the rain or the sunshine necessary for this plant to grow. He can't do any of that and bring forth the fruit so that he might have a harvest. For a successful harvest, a farmer has to know he's dependent on things, and he's dependent on things from God. There are things he must do, and there are things God, he, there are things God must do. A farmer knows that unless he diligently pursues his responsibilities to plow, to plant, to fertilize, to cultivate, he cannot expect a harvest at the end of the season. So in a sense, a farmer knows, and a farmer should know, that he is dependent and in partnership with God. Think about that. He will reap the benefits only if he fulfills his responsibilities. Those benefits are waiting for him. him. Those blessings are waiting for him. But unless he fulfills his responsibilities, he will not reap those things. So farming is a joint venture. And I love that. It's a joint venture between God and the farmer. The farmer can't do what God must do, and God will not do what the farmer should do. Did you hear that? God, the farmer cannot do what God must do, but God will not do what the farmer must do. It's a partnership. Are we clear about that? Sometimes we're not clear about what God must do in our lives for us to bear fruit and, and to live blessed lives and what we must do. And sometimes we're unclear about that, and we think sometimes we shouldn't do anything. 
and just let God do it all. And that's not really the way it works. So this whole joint venture thing, this partnership thing, it's true in our pursuit of discipleship. It's true in our pursuit of eternal life. It's true in our pursuit of a lasting relationship with God. It's a joint venture, our relationship with the Lord between God and us, his follower. We cannot do what God must do, and God will not do what we must do. It's a joint venture. Jesus gave his life for the forgiveness of our sins. He surrendered to the ultimate price to win our redemption, to purchase us back, to free us from the slavery to sin, the de death and the devil. He also gave us the gift of his spirit because we needed it. He's the one who adopted us as God's child. He's the one who gave us the gift of eternal life. We couldn't do any of those things. Many other promises he gave us to bless our life and to make us a blessing as he transformed us into the image of Jesus. He gave us those things. And because he surrendered, he surrendered all in a faith-filled walk of obedience to his heavenly Father, we likewise have been called to walk in full surrender too. We've been called to walk in obedience and in an obedient, faith-filled relationship with God. And God has given us all the responsibility. There's things he's going to do, and then things he won't do that are for us to do. And our responsibility is to choose to fully surrender. Doesn't make you do it. Doesn't push you. Doesn't harangue you to do it. He leaves it in your court to fully surrender. He leaves it in your court to do the walking. It, you know, I used to tell my kids growing up, look at I'm sorry, this is what I used to say. I go, I'm not your mom. I don't carry your things. Right? I'm your dad. I'll carry you when you're a little kid up on my shoulder and stuff like that, but after a while, no, I don't carry you too. You, God gave you two legs. Two legs to walk. So two legs to walk and two arms to carry your stuff. So carry your stuff and do the walking. That's what fathers say, don't they? Uh, you know, moms will go, oh, give it to me. I'll hold it for you. At least my wife would because she's so sweet where I wasn't made as sweet as her. So I don't do that. But we know here that God gives us the responsibility to choose fully to surrender. He gives us the responsibility to do the walking and to do the obeying in faith. See? Do you see that? That's our responsibility. It's our choice. It's our decision. It's our walk. We're free to choose. He will not do that for us. Let me say it again. It's our choice, our decision, our walk. And he will not do that for us. And we will reap the joy and benefits that he has for us in the kingdom and in relationship with him only as we fulfill our responsibilities in faith. As we do the walking. As we do the surrendering. As we do the obeying. So I'm here to say do in faith all that you can, Paul would say. And he wrote it in different ways in many letters to believers. Do all that you can to keep pursuing, keep pursuing God in a trust relationship with him. To keep walking with Jesus. And if you do what you can to keep pursuing that, you'll never walk away sad from the Lord. God never intends for us to walk away sad. Will there be times that we'll be sad as we're walking with the Lord? Sure, because we're growing and we're learning. 
we'll never walk away sad from him. We'll never walk away sad from his path for our lives, and we'll never walk away sad from the fellowship of his body, the church. We will never walk away from those things if we keep pursuing. So I want you to read with me a story. I'm going to kind of read this story a little bit, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about it. You know, so we'll do it just a little different. And so I'm kind of alerting the people that have to do the slides. We're going to read and I'm going to talk, but then I'm going to get to the points or some points that I want to highlight at the very end. So don't worry. Just keep kind of leading us to the reading. This is called Kelly's reading, okay? This is the way Dad reads the scripture. And um, some of my family know what I mean by that. What's that? Yeah, that's right. He'll understand. So let's, let's take a look at God's word and let's read it. And uh, our story today is found in Mark chapter um, 10 and verses 17 through 31. And it's the story about the rich. Matthew and Luke both have this story too, and they call it the rich young man or the rich young ruler. But this guy is just called the rich or the young man. And uh, we're going to find out why. It's a great story, and it shows us how to never walk away from Jesus sad. As Jesus started on his way, verse 17 says, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, right away, we know this guy is young, don't you? Because he ran up to Jesus. How many of us middle-aged people run up to any people? No. And he knelt before him. If I'm going to kneel before you, it's going to be kind of a sight to watch me get up off the ground. I just had to do some work underneath my cabinets. And uh, oh my gosh, it would have been a sight just to videotape me trying to get up from out underneath them and get on my feet again. So we know this guy's young, right? And we know from Matthew that he's rich. So he's a rich young guy. And we know that this guy's got a question. He's coming up to Jesus. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he saw Jesus as somebody special. He called him good. Good means godly. You know, you, you do things God's way. You don't just speak God's word, but you act God's way, and, and you're godly, and you're a good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a rich young guy. He's got a lot going for him. He's been, and you know that he's a Jew. He's been in the church. He's grown up in it, probably. He's doing well. But somehow, he's not doing well enough. And you know what that's like in life, isn't it? You, you know, you might have all the right trappings around you. you. You got the good job. You got the good family. You got the good thing going on, but you feel... There has to be more to life than this. You ever been there, anybody? There has to be more to life than this. And I want to say that this young man, I think, had that feeling. I've done a lot of things right. I've been in the church a long time. But there's got to be more, and I, and I think I'm missing something. And he was right. He was missing something. And it was a big something. Well, Jesus answers him. And he answers him not the way we would expect him. He says, why do you call me good? <laughs> I love that. Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud uh, anyone. Honor your father and mother. He challenged him right away. Why are you calling me good? Do you see me as godly? Do you see me as a person with authority? Then I'm teaching you as one who is teaching the very words of God to you. Do you see me that way? Think about that. Is that really true? When I preach this morning, do you see me up here? This kind of slightly overweight, well, I'm no longer middle-aged senior guy. Do you see me as good? Do you see me as having the authority to speak the words of God? Well, it'll be tested. I'll test you, right? And you'll have to determine, yeah, is this true or is this not true? Is he full of it or is he not? And so Jesus challenges them on that. Do you? And so he gave them a little Sunday school review, things that he would have learned. And he asked them about these commandments. Do you know that these first six commandments that Jesus quotes are found in Exodus chapter 20? They were the commandments... Moses went up on the mountain of Mount Sinai, came back down, and he's got the two tablets. These are all uh, the commandments on the second tablet. They're the six commandments that God gave to his people on how to treat other people. How to treat people, how to work with people, how to be in a right relationship with people, how to do it godly. And so he said to them, he reminded them, where am I at here? He reminded them, you shall not murder. Murder is a bad thing. Not a good thing like Martha Stewart would say. It's a bad thing. You shall not commit adultery. You've got to live within boundaries. You've got to do things in an honorable way because you care about other people. Your sexuality is not just something you fulfill because it feels good. Right? You don't do that. Um, we used to... I better stop there. Go ahead. <laughs> See, I, I start forgetting that certain things are recorded, and, and I'm, on, I'm streaming online live. And even though some of my siblings are passed and on and dead, I just got to be careful telling stories about things. But anyways, so I stop there. <laughs> you shall not steal, right? I venture to ask how many of us stole before we knew Jesus. Some of us might have been really good at it. You shall not give false testimony. Don't be a liar. Oh, we were good at telling lies and white lies, which I'm not sure there are really white lies, but we told a lot of lies. Give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Take what is another person or lie to get money. You shall honor your father and mother. Well, uh, I'm not sure we all did that well. And so the man answers, teacher, he declares, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. I've done it all. There's got to be something else, though. I've done it all. I've done it all. But see, Jesus knew he hadn't done it all. Right? Because there's the other tablet with the other four commandments on it. And those deal with God's place in your life love for him and whether he's number one and so Jesus it said looked at him and loved him I want you to hear that Jesus looked at this young man and loved him 
He knew he was misguided, but he loved him. He probably knew how he would respond and answer Jesus once Jesus revealed his heart to him. But he loved him. I'm here to tell you something. Man, do not try to serve or teach anybody that you don't love. I know I'm crazy, but I love you guys. I love you in all your weirdness and quirkiness. And how you sometimes don't do things exactly the way I want you to do them. But I love you. And I'm so grateful that you love me too. Because you've proved it through your faithfulness and through hanging in with me when I was at my best and even when I'm at my worst. Because that's what love is. Love is committed to our well-being for the rest of our lives. We like to always say that. It's a lifelong commitment to another person's well-being. That's what love is. Love is loyal like that. Love never fails. Love is so much more than an emotion or a feeling. It's so much more. But it has all those emotions and feelings. But it's so much more, isn't it? And he looked at this young man. He loved him. And then he told him the truth in love. And it was going to be hard truth for him to face, and he knew that, but he wanted him to know how much he loved him, and he was going to tell him the truth, and this is what he said. One thing you lack, the other side of the commandment, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. That's what he was telling him. Wow! It's a stunner. Wow, is that radical and extreme. I know you're a rich dude. Sell it all. Sell the Ferrari. Sell the three homes. Sell the suits and the cool tennis shoes that you've got. Sell it and give it to the poor. And then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And he, he didn't stutter when he said it. And this young man knew what he meant. Wow. You know, there's the only other thing that's really called and identified with a name as a god. A lot of idols in the scripture. But money and wealth is called mammon. It's given a name because it fights to be first. It fights to be Lord and God. And what he was trying to tell this young man was, you have forgotten the first four commandments. And you've left them behind. You shall have no other gods before me. None. And that wasn't just, well, you know, just make sure there are no uncool gods. Or just, you can have a little god over here and, a little, and have these little idols running around. No. You shall have no other god before me. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. My name is holy. And it has authority and power. And you have rights and privileges under my name. You shall not. You shall have no God before me. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And you should keep the Sabbath. And I know there's one more in it, and I'm bone blank right now. I could turn to Exodus 20. You guys who Bible check could tell me. But it's basically what Jesus said in the gospel when he was asked, what are the the top commandments, he said, the number one commandment is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your might, 
your soul with all your soul. Okay, I'm I'm showing my age. Go ahead. With all your strength and with all your might. Thank you, Rachel. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, your might, your strength. All your soul. All your power. And what he's saying is, he's number one. He's number one. And Jesus is saying that too. You must fully surrender to me. That's what walking with me requires. That's what receiving the gift of eternal life requires. You must fully surrender to me. I don't know if you knew that when you came to Christ. We, only, we come to Christ knowing some, and then we grow in that knowledge. He is Lord. And he knows that we have to grow in our understanding of his lordship. But I hope you understand what I understood when I accepted Jesus. It was all or nothing. Either he makes me a new creation and brand new and cleans my heart and makes my life right, or I, I said I'm not coming to you. And I realized it was going to be a decision on who is Lord of Kelly's life. Is it going to still be Kelly, or is it going to be Jesus? And I knew that was a decision I was making, and I made the decision for Jesus. Never regretted it. I was horrible as God. What about you? Yeah, you know you were. You were terrible as God. It's so good to have Jesus. And he's made me new and continues to make me new as he does you. So this man all of a sudden was confronted with the condition of his heart. Wow. I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. It says at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. I'm not willing to exchange that. I'm not willing to sell, give, and follow. I'm not willing at this point. This is the first command that Jesus actually gave this man. Here's, you, you want to follow the Lord, you want eternal life, you call me a good teacher, I give you the first command, and you're, you're gone. I'm out of here. I just got to the crux of the matter so you would know you're never going to successfully follow me if you're not going to fully surrender to me. Because guess what? Rot and sin and, and those kinds of things, they don't just stay the same. They grow. And they take over. You just don't go, oh, I know I've got a little cancer there. That's okay. We're just going to let it rest a while. Let it, I know it metastasizes and it grows really fast, but I'm just going to leave it there. Well, that's not, how's that going to work out for you? Not well. Not well. And so this man walked away sad. Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That should be a sober thing to us who live in the richest nation of the world. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because we like our things. We like our possessions. We like our money. We like our wealth and our luxuries. And if we're not careful, it, it will be the God that will keep us from Jesus and doing his will and following him. And people get stuck there. It says the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. 
wow. Well, what's amazing about that is he's telling them it's easier to go for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone to enter the kingdom of God. You know, when I first came to Christ, there was this myth that went around that there was a, <coughs> a gate that entered into Jerusalem that camels could go through, and it was called the eye of the needle. It was really small. The camels would have to get down on their haunches and kind of crawl through, and they couldn't have a rider on them and couldn't have baggage on them, and they got into Jerusalem that way. But you know what? That's a myth. It's not true. There was never a gate like that. There was never an entrance like that in Jerusalem. What Jesus is actually saying, it is, what does he say? It is easier <coughs> for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. I need surgical lighting, don't you? I need lighting so bright, I need to have, the, I can't even see the eye of the needle. How many of you have a hard time seeing even the eye of the needle? I can't hardly get a thread through the eye of the needle, let alone a camel. And so Jesus is saying this is humanly impossible. It's like a game we used to play in youth, and we would take a big piece of plywood and we'd cut a hole in it about that big. And then we'd line teams up, and every team would have their board with a hole that big. And we'd go, okay, so this is the mission of the game. It's going to have three rounds. We're going to start with a pumpkin, a chair, and then one of, your, one of the people in your group. That was a joke, right? <laughs> because what we'd say, your mission is this. In the first round, get that pumpkin, which was that big, through that little hole. First team to do that wins the round. You know that's nuts. You know it, it becomes a free-for-all and mayhem. And you got kids flying all around trying to cram pieces of pumpkin through a little hole. Because it's hard to get a big pumpkin through a little hole. Then it's even harder to get a big chair through a hole. I'm watching people beat up and throw chairs and kick them and rip them apart trying to shove it through that hole. And then some people try to actually get one of their kids through the hole. We go, no, that's a joke. <laughs> Don't put them through the hole. <coughs> And Jesus said it's easier to put a camel through the eye of the needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And then the disciples are sitting here listening to this, and it says they said to each other, who then can be saved? They're wondering, do we even qualify to be saved? Here we are, his disciples, what in the world? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. What? With man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up and said, we've left everything to follow you. Come on, what's there going to be for us? We've left it all to follow you. And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, he replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me and the gospel, <laughs> will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions. I love how he makes it real, doesn't he? Along with persecutions. And in the age to come, guess what you get? Eternal life. But many who are first will be last, 
and the last heard. What's, what's impossible with men is not possible with God. All things are possible with men. See, this young man was saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was thinking from a man's perspective. What does this look like from God's perspective? Think about it. What does it look like from God's perspective? He gives you a command. He wants to rid your heart of the idols that are robbing you from life. He wants you to follow him. And he wants to trust that he's got the, the power and the ability to make all that worth it to you and to take care of you in the midst of it. When you look at it from God's perspective, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's the one who spoke and it was created. He is Lord over heaven and earth. What does it matter that you empty your bank account if he asks you to? Does that really matter anymore? Does it matter whether you're first or last anymore if you've got God or Jesus in your life? Does it matter anymore? No. Does the impossible matter anymore? Well, it's a mute point because the one who can overcome the impossibility is in your life and in you and he's your Lord. Amen? It's possible. The impossible becomes possible. And what he has to say about you is the most important thing that can be said about you. Because it's the only thing that's going to last. He says heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So if I call you to follow me and surrender it all, that's a good deal for you. That's a great deal for you. Because I'm going to give back to you these things. He said I'll get back to you. You can't outgive me. You can't. You know, I tell a lot of stories about that. One story, though, that was so remarkable to me, because everybody feels it, was a musician that I got to be the escort of in college. This musician, he was considered one of the one-two best bassist bass players, had an eight-string bass that was helping to carry his stuff in, in the world. And he was a believer. And his group, that was a progressive jazz band, a lot of great performers who played on so many other bands were coming and playing that night. Um, I forget the drummer's name right now, but he's a drummer who played two sets during the time when you didn't see people playing two sets. And he would put two sets and play them at the same time. And it was just, it was wild, it was great. And we would go all, over, all around LA to watch them play because it was always a pleasure. It was just amazing. You just have to stand up and go, oh my gosh, and just go nuts, clapping. So here I am helping him get in. His name was Abraham Laborio. And we got talking, and we were talking about Jesus. And he loved Jesus. He loved the Lord. And he asked me, Kelly, so do you love the Lord? I go, yeah. He goes, Kelly, I just got to tell you something. When I first came to Jesus, I go, he goes, I came to Jesus later in life. And music was my life. It was my God. It was my idol. It's what I served. And when I came to the Lord, I knew I would have to submit that, that Lord, that idol to him. And I got scared that if I accepted Jesus and followed him, he'd take my music away. Because I didn't know what I, if I could do that. 
But he goes, I finally realized I could trust him. He was good, he was God, he was Lord. And so I gave him my music. I said, Lord, it's yours. If you don't want to give it back to me, then I'll trust you. If you give it back to me, I'll trust you. I want to serve you with all I have. I surrender all. And then I go, and what happened? And he goes, God took it. And then God gave it back to me. Because it was the best trade I ever made. Because now I was free. And I was blessed. And I've used it unto him. I love that. See, that's what we're talking about here. You've got to give it all. And it becomes a mute point about being first or last or impossible or possible because all things are possible with God. And I hope you have a testimony like that because I find that people that learn to give it all and surrender it all, you know what? You don't see them running around unhappy or struggling or bereft of things. No, they're the ones that are most hopeful. They're the ones that are most joyful. They're the ones that are excited because they're doing what God has called them to do. You know, it's kind of funny. I was going to tell uh, Stephen that Kelsey's been immortalized a little bit through the words of, uh, I've heard it through at least one, if not two people. Apparently, she was talking about child care, or about raising kids, about having kids and raising kids. And Kelsey goes, it's hard. There's sacrifice. There's work. But it's a joy. I don't know if you were around when she said that. <laughs> and I went, that's so good, because it's so true. Having kids and raising kids is hard. It's sacrifice. It's work. But it's a joy. And that's what it means to, to follow the Lord by faith. It's a joy. And it also has work involved in it. <coughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, the story, there's just a couple things that I want to just highlight real quick in the story as we go along. If we never want to go away sad from Jesus, if we never want to walk away from him, here's the first one thing that really has to be true about us. We have to choose to have no other loves before him. There you go. You know, I've been talking about that. It's been said that we become like the gods we worship. And whatever we continually behold, we consistently reflect in our lives. Whatever is center in our lives will come out in our lives. See, that's what Jesus is trying to tell this man. This young man was zealous. He was excited. He wanted to be affirmed. But he was more self-centered than God-centered when it came to life. And God wanted to set him free. Where are you this morning? Do you have any other loves before the Lord? The Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Who's the treasure of your life? Who's the focus? Who's your first love? God wants to be your first love. That's why he wrote those first four commandments in the Old Testament, and those still are true today. Love him, because he loves you. And he looks at you and loves you. And he loves you even when you're in a state that you're not loving him. Because that's how Jesus was here, wasn't it? He loved him. Amen. And I'd like to think that this man at some point went away sad here, 
but later when the Holy Spirit came and the church was created in the book of Acts, that he was among those first few thousand that came to Christ and repented and realized at that point, you know what, it is worth it to surrender all. And he was walking with the Lord before he died. I hope that was the case. But some of us, some of us who are God's children, who are following, we are tempted to lose sight of God's majesty, his power, his authority, and his passionate efforts to love us. And so as we do that, and you know you're doing that, when you're kind of shrugging your shoulders and you're choosing to live the way you desire, when it's easy for you just to, uh, you know, God will be cool with this. This is okay. Um, and what we end up doing is we reduce God's influence in our lives to that of a lifeless idol. He's not a lifeless idol. He's the one true God, maker of heaven and earth. And he wants to dwell with us and know us and use us and, and, and be known by, he wants us to know him and to be blessed by his work in our lives. So what are the other loves? If you don't want to go away sad, then choose to make him your one love. Number two, we got to understand what it means to walk by faith. We have to understand what it means to walk by faith. How many people, like I said before, do you know who are really sold out to Jesus, run around with sad faces, or run around feeling like they don't have, you know, they're just desperately destitute? You don't find that. You know why? Because Jesus said this to us in John 15, 11 through 12, and it'll be up here on, this, on the, the screen if you need it. This is what he said, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy <coughs> may be complete. What a great passage. If you keep my commands. Had this young man kept those commands and sold all that he had, gave it to the poor and become a giver instead of just a taker, and then followed, he would have had joy unspeakable, and he would have been freed from his slavery to wealth and to money. He would have been blessed, but he didn't fulfill it. See, if you and I want to walk by faith, that means that we're going we're to walk in Jesus' commands. We're going to walk in his word. Where are you just kind of punting on that? Oh, I don't have to obey him. See, we tend to look at the Christian life sometimes as it's really kind of a victory or defeat. Well, I'm kind of defeated right now, and da-da-da-da-da, but I'll get victory at some point. And so we see it in those terms, and we try to work toward victory. You know how we need to really see the Christian life? Obedience and lack of obedience. That's really the Christian life. Am I obeying the Lord or disobeying him? Am I walking in the things he's asking me to do, or am I just punting on them and acting like they're no big whoopee? Right? God may not come to you and tell you to sell everything and come follow me and give to the poor, but <clears throat> for sure, if you don't know Jesus, Lord and Savior, you have another idol. And we all have idols that seek to kind of worm their way back into our lives. Those idols got to go. And we have to obey the Lord in that. And we need to see ourselves in that light. 
Am I obeying the commands of God, or am I purposely disobeying them? Because the final thing I want to say here is, if you don't want to ever go away mad or sad from Jesus, don't seek to manage and categorize sin. We, we do that sometimes. We tolerate sin in our lives. That's what you do when you try to manage and categorize it, as if certain sins are no big whoop. All sin is separation from God. All sin brings death. You don't let rot, you don't let mold stay in your house, you don't let cancer stay in your body, you don't tolerate it. You tolerate that, you're going to die from it. It's going to be your undoing. And it's important to see that when it comes to walking in faith. That I must walk in faith and trust. And I can't tolerate sin. And I want to never confuse God's patience with complacency. See, we think because he's slow in, in the discipline and judgment we receive in our lives, we think, well, uh, it's really okay, it's no big deal. I'm here to tell you this morning that God is not indifferent about anything. God is not indifferent about anything. Amen? That's important to see. Sin has its consequences, and righteousness has its rewards. And if you know someone who is complacent in their sin, they're complacent in their life, you, those of us who know Jesus need to be praying for them, fasting for them, seeking to be the example that we can be, but most of the time, all we can do is pray and fast. And then as God leads, be, take other action, but only as God leads. It's no small thing to God when we're trying to play those games. And there is a day of serious accountability that is coming unless we wake up and repent. It is coming. So I hope you see that. This, this young man saw the difference. So he knew, hey, I'm not going to sell all these things, and I'm not going to follow Jesus, I'm out of here. And he left. Did Jesus go screaming after him? Hey, hold on, you misunderstood. You misunderstood. He didn't really mean it that, that extreme. Did he, did he go, oh, come back, let's talk some more. Come on, because you don't know what you're going to miss. You know what Jesus did? He let him go. God does not, I want you to see Jesus and see God in that. God does not seek to dominate us. He's given us the dignity to be human beings as prized creation. He's not going to make us do anything. He's not going to force us to do anything. He's going to allow us, which sometimes we don't like to do as teachers and preachers, he's going to allow us to struggle with his will. Struggle with his word. And maybe we'll struggle weeks. Maybe we'll struggle months. Maybe it'll be years. Maybe it won't be till our deathbed. But God will not force us or, or push us that's the devil's M.O. He's the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and to dominate you, not, not the Holy One of God. And I want you to see that kind of love there. He's not enmeshed, therapy people. He's not enmeshed. He's engaged. But he's not disengaged either. So he's not on those further ends. He's not disengaged, and he's not totally enmeshed where he's trying to live your life for you. He's engaged. What decision will you make? I want you to stand with me as we close in prayer this morning. Amen. Amen. Let's bow and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, 
we know we need to keep pursuing or we'll never, or else we will go away sad. Lord Jesus, this morning as we come before you, I pray that if there are any here who do not know you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray this morning that they would hear your word and realize that it's full surrender. Um, you want to be Lord, and you are Lord. And, and we either accept you as Lord or we don't. And that is the issue. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would show people that the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You have a gift you want to give. If people will repent of their sins and will receive you as Lord, you'll give it in your name. Because you've done everything to win it for us. You did all that you had to do in partnership with us. And now show us, God, what we must do. And that is to choose to receive and fully surrender to you. To choose to walk in obedience to you. That that's in our boat, that we must choose those things and follow. So God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would let those know that if they call out to you this morning, you are faithful and just to forgive them as they repent and as they ask you to become their Lord and Savior, you're able to do that according to your word because you have promised that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and we believe in our heart that, that he came to die for our sins and God raised him from the dead, showing that that payment was complete, that we'll be saved. And we know that this promise is for all who would come. So God, lead these people to you, and may this be a first day of a brand new life. We ask this in Jesus' name. But we ask, Lord God, that if we're, we've been in the church and we haven't realized that it's full surrender, and we're going around sad, always feeling like there's more, always going away unhappy. Show us, God, that it has to do with our surrender. Show us, Lord, that it has to do with our lack of understanding, our walk of faith, what God must do and what God will not do because we must do. Show us, Lord, where we've been managing sin and and categorizing it and tolerating it rather than in dealing with them and honestly confessing it and repenting of it. Lord, thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to counsel us and teach us. Thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to give us power to understand and to know your will and to make decisions before you. So, Father, come and pour out your Spirit and bless your people today. And may we be people who continue to pursue Keep us moving, Lord. Keep us going with you and knowing that we'll never go away sad. Thank you, Jesus, for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray and we all said together, amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Have a great Sunday. Um, next week is the sprinkle for Vince and Krista and their new little one. So come and bring gifts and, I don't know, whatever else you want to bring. I'm sure they need all sorts of stuff, right? So uh, check that out. And, uh, and are you on Amazon? Do I remember right? Okay, so they've, uh, 
registered on Amazon if you need a gift idea of something if you want to. <laughs>